Hey everyone, welcome to the Green Scene Podcast. I'm Jeremy Safran. TGSP is the top global cannabis podcast. Everyone has questions and we'll cover the stories that matter and showcase the guests who make a difference. This week on TGSP, we speak with MJ Malloy, a leading Canadian researcher who recently studied the effect of cannabis use on people suffering from crack addiction. They were using cannabis to control their crack cocaine use in some way. And what we found was that those individuals uh, we saw uh, during periods or after periods of cannabis use, what we call intentional cannabis use, um, we saw dramatic decreases in the frequency of crack cocaine use among these people. Clock, is medical marijuana the answer to the opioid epidemic? It's legal in 29 states, including here in Florida, and a new report could bolster advocates' claims that legalizing medical marijuana could curb the nation's drug crisis. Here's CBS 4's Kenneth Craig. Research in the Journal of the American Medical Association shows in states where medical marijuana is legal, opioid overdose deaths are down as much as 25%. The results? Participants using cannabis did in fact reduce their intake of the illicit drug. Crack cocaine showed up on the scene in the 1980s. You wake up every morning, you wash your face, you brush your teeth. You start smoking crack, you don't shower three, four days. Things just don't matter anymore because the only thing you're focused on is the getting and using of crack cocaine. Although the numbers do show that the use of cocaine in all forms is lower today than it was during its peak, the 1990s, we're learning that the most vulnerable people are those who are marginalized and under the age of 18. We wanted to find out why MJ Malloy, who is a research scientist with the BC Center of Substance Abuse and an assistant professor at UBC, got into the testing of cannabis in the first place. I did my training at UBC and I focused on harm reduction programs for people who use drugs and primarily people who are, you know, dependent on things like heroin, cocaine, crack cocaine, that sort of thing, especially folks who are living in, um, you know, marginalized, poor conditions, they're homeless, they're, they're incarcerated, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, in that area, there's not been a lot of research into cannabis. And we became aware of a, of a study that was done by colleagues down in New Orleans uh, around the sort of interactions between cannabis and HIV. Uh, and they had done some work in monkeys, uh, and we uh, had the data on hand uh, to sort of see if the same thing that they were seeing in their monkey um, uh, experiments held true in, in human subjects. And, and to a bit of our surprise, uh, we found that, in fact, uh, we saw the same thing. And what that was, was that when we looked at the people, there were about 80 of, or so of them who, um, who became infected with HIV. We found that the ones who told us that they were using cannabis on a daily basis uh, had lower levels of HIV virus in their blood uh, than the people who were not. Uh, now, in the past, um, you know, we've seen that cannabis can have a beneficial impact on HIV because it helps people stay on their treatment. Uh, and this contributes to, you know, lower um, rates of deaths among people with HIV. This study, though, that we did was the first really to find that there was a sort of a direct biological impact of cannabis on, on, on HIV itself, on the disease itself. Uh, and so this is very exciting to us. You've likely heard about the opioid epidemic, one which has been making its way across many countries, killing many people that are addicted.
people have also been hugely affected by fentanyl, something MJ Malloy says is also a widespread contamination problem. Uh, essentially what we have is a widespread contamination problem. Okay. And what that is, uh, is that in the last number of years, for reasons that we really don't understand, uh, we can guess at, the supply of illicit opioids that many people use has become contaminated with fentanyl. Fentanyl is a very powerful molecule, uh, and unfortunately, an overdose of fentanyl can quickly lead uh, to an individual's death through a number of different uh, routes. And how we've gotten to this point is, is a bit of a story. Uh, it involves uh, a real over-reliance, uh, I would say, uh, by many physicians on, the, on using opioids uh, on people who are suffering chronic pain and among many people as well, a sort of a dependence on those opioids, which has led to, to their exposure to fentanyl. I think in terms of cannabis, the real question is, well, can it play a role in, in how we address this problem? And, you know, we've seen um, that there are sort of uh, uh, formal medical interventions, uh, which increasingly people are, are trying to scale up so that people who suffer from dependence on opioids uh, have better drugs to treat that dependence. And I think we're also seeing how, especially with cannabis, um, looking to see how we can treat some of the sort of the upstream reasons people are using opioids. And of course, one of the, you know, the biggest for that is pain. Uh, and we know cannabis, of course, has been used for many years by many people in the medical cannabis community to try and treat chronic pain. Uh, and so we're thinking, we're wondering if indeed by scaling up access to medical cannabis, we could uh, impact uh, the opioid crisis. That is the question. Can medical cannabis have an effect on the opioid problem? Can medical cannabis have an effect on addiction? So uh, what we did is we run a number of studies uh, here at the BC Centre on Substance Use. Uh, we have since 1996, and, and what we've done is we've enrolled into our studies a couple of thousand people um, who use illicit drugs. Uh, and for our definition, an illicit drug is any drug, uh, a legal drug other than cannabis. And, and primarily what we're seeing is that people are addicted uh, to either crack cocaine or powder cocaine or, or in most cases to heroin. And the study started in the mid-90s uh, as an HIV-related study uh, because at that time there was the, the world's worst outbreak of HIV here in Vancouver. And the studies were really trying to get out ways that we could protect people from becoming uh, infected with HIV. What the studies have become uh, is uh, sort of broader studies uh, into the health and wellness of people who use drugs. Uh, and one aspect of that uh, is looking at dependence on drugs and some of the ways that we can either reduce the harm uh, of, of using drugs like heroin or cocaine, uh, or we can help people uh, get into treatment and move into recovery. So with the crack cocaine study that you mentioned, since 1996, we recruit people, and then every six months we interview them about their health and well-being. And then we um, uh, use sort of very standard analytic techniques to try and analyze the data. So for the crack cocaine study, what we did is we looked at people who were using crack cocaine and told us uh, in response to a specific question that they were using cannabis to control their crack cocaine use in some way. And what we found was that those individuals uh, we saw uh, during periods or after periods of cannabis use 
what we call intentional cannabis use, um, we saw dramatic decreases in the frequency of crack cocaine use among these people. And this um, uh, surprised us because when we started asking these questions, we thought people were going to be replacing opioids with cannabis because of the sort of the pain relief thing that we've talked about. Mm-hmm. But in fact, what we've seen is that the majority of people who are trying to use cannabis to control their drug use are trying to control stimulant, so crack cocaine use. As you've heard on TGSP before, there are major data gaps in the research because cannabis was, and in a lot of cases still is, an illegal drug. Therefore, it's very difficult to run studies on. I wanted to find out if there was any connection to, say, a sativa plant with high THC content to those affected and addicted to stimulants. Well, that's, that's a really good point, and, and that's sort of where we've hit a bit of a, 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 the limits of some of our data. When we look at the experimental literature, um, you know, when we're talking about um, experiments on rats and monkeys and that kind of stuff, you know, there is very good evidence uh, around the use of CBD and drug withdrawal. Um, and in fact, colleagues uh, of mine in Montreal are currently doing a study looking to see if uh, high doses of CBD uh, can be used to help people who are detoxing from crack cocaine use. So that's going to be very interesting to see if, if that works. We didn't ask people back then what type of cannabis uh, they were using. So unfortunately, we don't have that data. Mm-hmm. But realistically, uh, and we know from some of the data we're collecting now, um, the vast maj- uh, the majority of, of cannabis that people are using is, is typical high THC, very low CBD and so we think that the, um, the, the sort of the substitution effects mm-hmm. that we're seeing uh, relate to a administration of THC. But for the next step, we want to get directly into that question uh, right. and, and indeed see if there are specific um, you know, strains of cannabis that might be doing a better job than others in terms of the substitution effect. And so we're hoping to partner um, with a, a, an eminent cannabis scientist uh, at UBC, a botanist, uh, so we can do more of that work, uh, which involves not only the people's reports, but also analysis of what kind of cannabis they're using. So as we see progression, are there already programs out there using cannabis to treat addiction? Yeah, and, and, you know, we're lucky here because um, the BCCSU, which is the research institute that I'm a part of, uh, was just established earlier this year with a real mandate to do that, Mm -hmm. Um, not necessarily just with cannabis and cannabinoids, um, but to take and create evidence around what works uh, for people who use drugs, you know, what are the sorts of things that uh, improve their health and well-being, you know, in a clinical setting, in a non-clinical setting. We, you know, our job is to take that evidence and try and turn it into practice. Um, so, for example, uh, what we've done uh, recently is revamped uh, the guidelines that all physicians uh, in BC follow uh, when dealing with uh, people who suffer from opioid dependence. You know, and in the past, the, the, the suggestion was, of course, to put these people on methadone. And certainly methadone has, you know, uh, uh, been, um, you know, uh, associated with a lot of uh, good achievements around overdose and HIV and stuff. But what we did in our guidelines was to try and provide uh, more options for physicians um, uh, to, to meet the needs of people suffering from opioid dependence. 
<laughs> now, when it comes to cannabis, unfortunately, as you know, the evidence uh, is not there yet. You know, we've, right. we've not been able to run the sort of clinical trials that other sort of drugs would take because, of course, we've been shackled by prohibition for all of these years. Right. Um, you know, fortunately, that is um, hopefully going to change in the near future. Uh, we've been successful at attracting some, some private funding to begin to do this sort of work. Uh, and we've also, um, you know, made our voices heard uh, in, in popular literature, uh, suggesting that the, the current system uh, uh, around uh, medical cannabis uh, is, is unduly conservative uh, and, and that doctors are not really taking advantage uh, of the specific profile of cannabis um, to meet the needs of their patients. The research that is currently being done could potentially change people's lives. I wanted to find out about stigma in the research community, especially as Canada moves to legalize and regulate cannabis very soon. You know, that stigma is, is, is unfortunately something that the people that we work with uh, have to deal with on a daily basis. In many ways, um, stigma against people who use drugs is in many ways the last sort of exceptional discrimination. <laughs> and, and it's unfortunate because you know, for people who are suffering with drug dependence, um, you know, we know that this is not a failure of character. Uh, this is not indicative that someone is not a good person. Uh, you know, but drug dependence, alcohol, tobacco dependence is a brain disease. Uh, and, and people who suffer from dependence deserve the same high-quality, evidence-based medical care that people do who are suffering from cancer or diabetes or any other condition. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, you know, in the world of dependence and in the world of drug use, uh, stigma still reigns supreme in many ways. And I think, you know, the best uh, uh, example of that uh, from a recent um, event was the U.S. president's uh, commission on opioids, you know, mm -hmm. in which no people who suffer from dependence on opioids, no people who use opioids were included in this commission. Right. And there was no support for the sorts of things like harm reduction, like supervised injection um, that we know to be work, that we know work. Um, but are uncomfortable for some people. Right. And certainly in the, in the cannabis sphere, we've seen the same sort of thing. Despite the government's, the federal government's um, plans to move forward with regulation, we still have people being arrested in, and incarcerated for, for cannabis use, which I think is, is unconscionable. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, how we understand cannabis is still limited by that stigma around research and stuff. So stigma is certainly, you know, a big deal. There are good signals. Um, that more and more people accept this view that drug dependence is, is a medical condition uh, and not a failure of character. Uh, and, and I think more and more people are accepting the view that drug use, psychoactive drug use, is a you know, normal, historic, ancient, and usual part of human existence. It's an exciting time for people like MJ Malloy. It's just the tip of the iceberg. The things we will find out through research into cannabis in the next while will be life-changing for some. So what's next for MJ? I think we're doing two main things. And one is, is to follow the legalization, the regulation um, process very closely mm -hmm. uh, and to try and understand its, its impacts uh, on the people we work with both in terms of sort of the more marginalized drug users in places like the downtown east side in Vancouver, but also non-marginalized drug users. And, and so for that, what we're doing right now is we've, we're recruiting a study in Vancouver of people who use cannabis from the retail dispensaries, mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to follow them uh, before and after uh, regulation to see what sort of impacts can be seen on uh, their cannabis use and, and that sort of thing. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. We're also very interested, and we are putting together a number of clinical trials of specific cannabis formulations uh, to see how they might benefit people with specific conditions. We, first of all, are working uh, on joining a trial being led by Zach Walsh at UBC Okanagan, mm-hmm. uh, which is a trial looking at cannabis use and for people who suffer from PTSD. Uh, most of these individuals are veterans or first responders who suffer from PTSD, and as you know, there's not really much good treatment for PTSD out there. So we are following up some very good evidence from medical cannabis users to suggest that, that cannabis might be something that these people could benefit from. So we're hoping to start doing that soon, and, and also we're you know following up the, 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 the drug dependence work that we've been doing, and we're going to be doing a number of clinical trials to see how um, cannabis might contribute to our efforts in the opioid overdose crisis, uh, as well just in general to see how cannabis might help people who are dependent on other drugs. Thanks for joining us on TGSP this week. We hope you like the show. Don't forget to go to our website, www.thegreenscenepodcast.com, subscribe to us, and rate our podcast. We'll catch you next week.